The following broadcast by the Kingdom Voice, Dr. Dana Carson, is made possible through DCKM Partners. Dr. Carson teaches the power of the kingdom in its original Jewish context that will revolutionize and transform your life through the power of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. Check out our website, drdanacarson.org, where you can hear much more from the Kingdom Voice. DCKM, Dana Carson, Kingdom Ministries. In today's broadcast, Dr. Dana Carson, the Kingdom Voice, teaches from a powerful teaching on vision. Today's message is titled, The Power of Vision, coming from Acts chapter 26, verses 15 through 19. What is God saying to us during this time? And what is your vision? What should your vision be? Um, I... I, I propose to people now that while we are setting our visions, I believe that we ought to be setting vision that will impact a decade, not just a year. And so I believe that we should be setting our sights on what we see God doing f for the next decade, for the next 10 years. And I believe if we can get that kind of vision, then year one uh, is not as devastating uh, or complex as it seems because it's the starting point. You know, it's the starting point. And at the starting point, I believe God is shaking things up so that you don't envision out of an old model, out of an old paradigm, out of an old mentality, uh, out of an old attitude that he wants you to envision or have vision that is disruptive. That means that it breaks the norm. It uh, disrupts the way things uh, were and it creates now a new normal. And so I believe that right now, uh, God is speaking uh, to the church primarily about its vision. And then secondarily, he's speaking to uh, non-religious organizations about forming a vision that is more consistent and compliant to the values uh, of our constitution, uh, of, of moral, moral consciousness, even when you don't know the Bible. Uh, so I believe that God is trying to shape uh, secular vision, that it is more, uh, that, it, that it impacts not only the corporate world, the educational world, but it, uh, the governmental world. Uh, world, and so that we have vision that is more fair and equitable uh, for all. So this is a very powerful year of vision. Now, vision is extremely important. Now, um, when you look at vision, I, I think often about vision 
And I, I teach and train so much on vision because vision is so important. Um, in our nation, vision became a buzzword and became a very necessary aspect of organizational design, development, and leadership uh, during the Clinton administration and election, uh, where he started talking about a new vision for America. And man, they campaigned so hard on that uh, vision concept that after the election, from that point on, government, corporate, education, educational uh, uh, agencies and organizations and personal and private people no longer could exist without the concept of vision. Now, everybody was saying, what's your vision? What's the vision for the country? What's the vision for our corporation? What's, what's the vision for our church? What's the vision for our family? What's the vision for uh, our educational system? So vision became a very, very important thing. And most people, when people meet them and you're talking and uh, on a professional level and sometimes just on a very personal, functional level, you ask people things like, what's your vision for life? And what's your vision for your marriage? What's your vision for your children? What's your vision for your business? Now, everybody is asking about vision. But the question is, what is vision? Why is it necessary? And who needs it? Who's got to have it? And, you know, uh, Every church vision, every church has to have vision. And so, you know, at The Rock, for instance, uh, the foundation of our vision, and I'm not going to really talk uh, about our vision here, but, you know, the foundation of it lies on us building a Bible-centered, a spirit-filled, community-building, and kingdom-minded church that makes an intergenerational impartation to children and youth and identifies and equips leaders who can plant Bible-centered, spirit-filled, community-building, kingdom-minded churches around the world that make impact economically, educational, educationally, and through, through empowerment. And so that's just kind of the, the core of what our vision rests upon. But it's broader than that uh, as uh, we are working towards bringing to pass what we hear God saying. You know, you've got to have vision. You've got to have something you're working for. You can't just... Uh, if you're a pastor, you just can't come to church and preach. Um, you've you've got to have vision. And when the church doesn't have vision, what ends up happening is one or two things. One, the parishioners don't have vision. 
because if they're really connected to ministry and ministry is impacting and influencing uh, their life and the ministry doesn't have vision and doesn't live by vision, then they tend to not live by vision because of the influence of the church. Or two, what happens is, is they get a vision that is not a kingdom vision. They get a vision that is secular in design, nature, and outcome. In essence, what they envision has no impact on the kingdom of God. It only has impact on their personal kingdom. And so it's important, though, that um, we have vision as a church, as an individual. You have to... You have to be able to envision. You know, I think about when I was a child. Uh, when I was a child, I had a very active imagination. Uh, imagination. I'm pretty sure some of you probably say, I can only imagine. You know, but I was fascinated when I was a kid with two primary skill sets and potential careers. Now, I don't know. I, I definitely wasn't calling them skill sets back then, nor potential careers. I just know that I had a strong interest in only two things. I was brought up on the south side of Chicago and had not been exposed to much of anything. Uh, so my two uh, interests was basketball and singing. I know you probably say you were a so-and-so right. You know, uh, you were a typical, yes, I was, athletics and entertainment. Uh, you know, both of these were were in the arena of entertainment. So uh, it was something on the inside of me that uh, uh, I desired to be on, on, on the big stage. I don't, I don't know what, I don't know why, but I guess it was temperamental, personality, uh, you know, I, I don't know, sanguine personality, I, I don't know. But uh, I grew up, though, as the youngest uh, son of two Mississippi sharecroppers who were part of the Great Migration, who traveled to Chicago looking for opportunity and the equality of life. Uh, both of my parents were factory workers who never missed a day of work. Not that I can recall. I never, ever saw. And, you know, and I was looking because, you know, whenever they didn't go to work, that would stop me from being mischievous. So that's something I would have remembered. They always went to work. So uh, one of my parents, however, worked the day shift and the other worked the night shift. So uh, they did this in order to have parental coverage. So one of them would watch me and, and my sister, my sister and I in the day and then one at night. My auntie passed, then her four, uh, five kids came to live with us. And so, man, that is a story that I have to tell you uh, later on at some other uh, juncture. But we lived with uh, six kids in one bedroom and my parents had a bedroom in Chicago, Illinois. I was a latchkey kid uh, for about two hours and 30 minutes 
every night from 10 p.m. to 12.30. My mother would go uh, uh, out the door to, to make it to work at 10 p.m. My father got off at midnight. It took him 30 minutes to get home. So during that two and a half hours, my imagination ran free. Uh, you know, so what I would do is I would uh, first take two wire hangers and I would bend them and make them like a basketball goal and I'd put them in the door and shut them in the door and then I'd get some newspaper and I'd wrap it in some aluminum foil so it could be my basketball. So I made a, a makeshift basketball goal and, uh, and hangers uh, it, out of hangers in the top of the door so they can be my basket. And so I would shoot all around the room and I'd play against myself. And, you know, I would always win. It was always me against the, the Chicago Bulls or, or somebody. But, you know, I had a perfect record. You know, in my dream, in my vision, I always win. Uh, you know, something's wrong in your world of imagination and it's your imagination it's your dream and you keep losing how you losing inside your own dream and imagination now my dream was that i'd become a great basketball player uh, uh and uh that would win games every night so you know you know, once again, you know you are a loser or you're, or you're losing when you lose in your own imaginary world. So after the game was over and I won and, you know, every night, uh, I, would, I would scurry to the next imagination. And my next imagination was singing, where I imagined being Michael Jackson. Now, uh, I couldn't sing. And not a great singer now, but uh, nobody in my family could sing. And what made me want to sing was I had friends and they had family singing groups back then. That was a big thing. Everybody had groups like the Jackson 5 in the 60s and 70s. That was the big thing. And man, I couldn't get anybody into anybody's group because I couldn't sing. But I would imagine myself being Michael Jackson. I would then welcome myself to one of my mother's Afro wigs and I would plug the mic in into our A-track and we had a shadow box. Some folk know what that is. If you're a little older, you know what that is. It's a little mirror that hangs in the living room and you put your little pieces on there for decorative purposes. It's old school stuff. But I would look in the shadow box and I would have my microphone for the 8-track and I'd be singing, doing like this. Whatever you want, I got. Whatever you got, I'll give to you. I was doing Michael Jackson stuff, man. And I was doing my wig and my wig was flowing. Well, you know, but the truth of the matter was, uh, while I was doing that, winning in basketball, being Michael Jackson, the matter, the, the the truth of the matter was, I sucked both at that time in basketball and singing. But when I when when I went to the eighth grade team, I had never played basketball before, other than in my dream world. I was laughed out of the gym. 
Then I pursued my singing opportunity with a group called the Wolfhawk Singers, uh, one of my best friends still here in life, Joey Wolfhawk, and didn't, didn't make it. And, you know, they laughed at me. And uh, I then started taking up percussions. And so I became a percussionist and played the Congos. But by the time I reached the ninth grade, I made the high school team, uh, but didn't make the grades. And so I ended up not being able to play until um, um, the 10th grade. I, mess I made my grades up. And but by the time I graduated from high school, I made the Chicago WBMX high school all-star team. So while being voted uh, in in high school, the most talented of my senior class that I didn't even get to graduate with. Now, uh, you may be saying, uh, Dr. Carson, this is an interesting story, but what does this have to do with vision? Well, I envision myself doing things uh, with a natural vision uh, that God taught me that I was tapping into something I would understand later in life how to use it in the proper context vision. God was showing me. Now, I wouldn't have known it was God. I was not conscientious, uh, had nothing to do with salvation, but uh, oftentimes we're being shaped in the natural for something supernatural. Like Paul never thought that God was shaping him uh, to be a great apostle to the Gentiles while he was being uh, while he was being groomed and trained as a Pharisee. Uh, he didn't see that, but it was Paul's training as a Pharisee that served as the substratum for him being uh, a great apostle to the Gentiles. So what I'm saying to you is sometimes they're the, th the things in the natural, while they're not considered gifts, you're picking up certain uh, sensitivities to certain things that God eventually is going to use to help you become more sensitive and spiritually aware of what he wants you to do in your life. And we look at that transition from Paul who persecuted the church to Paul who uh, uh, extended and, and, and expanded the church. Uh, through the Gentiles. So consider the great apostle Paul. He had uh, a carnal vision of persecuting the saints and preserving his Judaistic beliefs. He was engaging in a practice he didn't know at that time that would one day be used by God in its proper context. He had absolutely no idea. You know, so he wouldn't, he couldn't say like, I knew all, ever since I was a child, I'd be doing this. I knew God was going. No, he did not know what he was going to be doing. Now, Paul told King Agrippa when he was on trial for his life. Now, Paul uh, could have uh, argued from a philosophical perspective, 
a political perspective. Paul was an intellectual. He studied uh, at the feet of the Jewish rabbi scholar Gamaliel. And Paul could have argued anything. But Paul uh, told King Agrippa his story. Uh, he told King Agrippa how he was on the road of Damascus uh, pursuing the persecution of Christians and he was knocked down to the ground and he heard a voice crying out to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And, and he says, I don't even know who you are. Who are you, Lord? He wasn't saying, Lord Jesus Christ. He's saying, apparently, you're God of some sort because you've knocked me down, you've taken my eyesight, and I hear your voice. And then Jesus told him who he was. I'm Jesus Christ, whom you're persecuting. And he says, now, I want you to stand on your feet and I got something for you to do. I need you to talk to both Jew and Gentile and I need you to go and set them free from the bondage and the power of Satan that they may be united with me through the spirit of forgiveness and reconciliation. And so Paul told King Grippa what happened. What did he tell him? He told him about his vision. And he told him about his experience because vision causes you to have experiences. And so King Agrippa was moved by Paul's uh, uh, story and vision and witness. And he said to Paul, are you so quickly trying to even convince me to become a Christian? And Paul said, now, now, that, uh, now that you ask, I would that all men would be like me, except for these chains. Can you help a brother out? Can you get me out these chains? This is Paul's response. But he says, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, which means vision is what was driving and moving his life. Not money, not career, not opportunity. Uh, what was moving his life was vision. Now, when we look at this word, when Paul says, uh, King, oh, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. We look at this word vision. It's the Greek term optasia. Uh, uh, now, optasia is the Greek word, which means to see appearance, Apparition, it's a sense of sight. Now, uh, it's a divine communication. Uh, when we, when we uh, uh, look at it in the Hebrew, uh, chazon. Chazon is the Hebrew word vision. So, optasia, uh, the Greek term, then the Hebrew word, uh, chazon, means divine communication, a prophecy or prophetic revelation. So Paul says, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. So I want you to understand this as we talk visions. Vision is not a good idea. Vision is not simply a dream that you put together. Uh, vision 
is not simply a corporate plan and goal. Now, we know that you can use vision in the secular sense. People use it uh, in the secular sense to talk about goals and, and objectives and so forth. But in the spirit realm, vision goes much deeper than that. It's an experience. You've got to have an experience in order to get a vision. And so King Agrippa uh, is told by Paul, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. A vision then, beloved, is a, when we talk about chazon, a divine communication, a revelation, a prophecy, a vision is a disclosure of an unseen reality given by God. So that means God has vision for you in your life, and it's an experience that you've got to have, and you get this experience through your connection with your local church because visions are connected to the kingdom and the kingdom's embassy is the local church. So vision, church, kingdom, they all are a cybernetic loop that work together. And so you need the power of the uh, kingdom, uh, the, the, uh, the uh, community of the church, and the revelation of the vision for you to maximize in your lifetime what God wants you to do, what he has for you. So a vision is a disclosure of an unseen reality by God. And thus, the Bible states that vision is so critical that without it, one lives an undisciplined life. Thank you for listening to the kingdom teaching of Dr. Dana Carson. If you would like to hear this message in its entirety, visit drdanacarson.org slash radio. If you would like to know more about the kingdom and your faith, we invite you to enroll in the Kingdom Bible University. Check this out. Studying the Bible can be challenging if you don't understand what you're reading. As kingdom citizens, we are called to live out God's word in every moment of our lives, but we must understand the word in order to do that. The Kingdom Bible University was created to help believers learn God's word on a practical level and teach you how to live it out in your daily life. KBU desires to help you achieve the kingdom knowledge and empowerment of the Bible that helps you enhance your spiritual life to maximize your potential. Find out more information about KBU by visiting our website, www.kingdombibleuniversity.com. Understand the Bible like never before and experience the power that is within to change your life for God's glory. Learn more about KBU today. Before we end this broadcast, we would like to give you an opportunity to give your life to Christ. Please repeat this prayer after me. Dear Lord Jesus, I come to you now, acknowledging that I am a sinner and in need of your grace. Save me, Lord. Make me clean. All that I am, all that I have, I give to you. Thank you, Lord, for saving me. If you said this prayer, we celebrate with you 
and we invite you to join online to further your kingdom journey at therockwoi.com and click on join online. We would love to assist you through your new kingdom life and send you a free copy of Dr. Carson's book, My New Life in the Kingdom. We look forward to connecting with you. Hi, beloved. This is Dr. Dana Carson, affectionately known as the Kingdom Voice. You know, I work very, very hard to fulfill the purpose of God on my life and the church's life. And we take this gospel of the kingdom around the world. We're touching lives all over. We're touching lives globally. And I want you to partner with me so that we can do that in a more effective manner. And also that fruit may abound to your account. Every time I preach the gospel, that means that you're there preaching it with me because you're providing the necessary support that allows me to reach nations and people all over the world. I need your support. I want you to partner with me. If you click the link, it'll tell you a little bit more about our partners ministry. But will you partner with me? I want you to be able to say, I partner with Dana Carson Kingdom Ministry and we take the gospel of the kingdom around the world. Thank you. God bless. In this gospel of the kingdom, the good Jesus news bless across the world. The preceding broadcast has been brought to you by DCKM Partners, helping people to know God, make Him known to others, and spread the kingdom message around the world. Find out more at drdanacarson.org. DCKM, Dana Carson Kingdom Ministries.